Thanks so much. I j just want to do another commercial, you know. That's what we do, commercials. Uh, and it was very encouraging to me that uh, all my magazines were taken, which is a good thing. Um, you could still get the magazine if you'd like, even though there are no sample copies there. This is the one I had, and please don't take it. I gotta take it to the church tomorrow to let them know about it. You could go on foi.org. That's Friends of Israel, foi.org. I, I hope you do. Um, in fact, just an important thing, I, I tell you I always like to offer a deal. Such a deal. Um, <laughs> If you have a grandchild between the ages of uh, 18 and 26, or if you're here and between the ages of 18 and 26, by the way, I love tight-skinned people. Uh, I have nothing against wrinkly people, I'm one of them, but when you do prophecy conferences, most of the time I see wrinkly people. <laughs> and I try to make it a point when there are those few who have tight skin to thank them for coming, and I'm grateful. Uh, and so if you're a tight-skinned person between, and, and naturally tight-skinned, by the way. Uh, <laughs> naturally tight-skinned. If you are, we have a contest that we run every year, uh, and it's still going on. It will go on until the end of December. We have a trip for young people called Origins. Our resolve is giving Israel never-ending support. And in this program, we send 20, about 20 or so uh, young people to Israel in Rehavot, working at a hospital at, called Kaplan Hospital, where you work for free. So you're not getting paid. In fact, you have to raise your support to get there. And that's part of, the, part of the beauty of this, because Israelis ask our young people, wait a minute, it's summertime. You, you, could, you should be working, or if you're not working, you should be vacationing. What are you doing here? You paid for a trip to come here to work for free. Why? Why? Uh, amazing discussions. I had uh, one occasion, I, uh, one of the workers, went to our young person and said, I only have a half hour for lunch, I want you to meet me, and then I want to hear everything you know about Jesus. Now, we didn't, we didn't um, make that happen. There, the person didn't talk about Jesus, uh, other than they're here because of the Bible, and I, I believe that God loves the Jewish people, and Jesus is Jewish, and. Um, that's why I'm here. So if you tell us in 650 words or less, and you're a tight-skinned person between 18 and 26, uh, you could be chosen. We will choose one person uh, to go free, and the second prize is a half-paid trip. So if you know anybody like that, go online, look under Origins. There's a masthead under Origins. And by the way, if you're older than that, you say, hey, I'd like to do that. We, we have a trip called Chesed. Now you got to be careful. Dr. Bailey's in front of me, so when I said Chesed, I went that way because he doesn't have a raincoat on or an umbrella. And so you got to, your are, that's just the way it is. Chesed means loving kindness. And so we have a trip for 
wrinkly people, I guess, uh, uh, if, if you want. And uh, so if you're interested in that, there's a, uh, uh, on our website, you can access that information as well. Um, it's, it's great to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. And as I said, so if you, if you can't get the magazine, there's a sign-up sheet. Check off if you want it in digital or in hard copy, and we'll be glad to do that for you. And yesterday evening, I was trying to set the stage for the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I spent a lot of time doing it, and less on the text. I'm aware of that. But I wanted you to get a feel for who Jewish people are. Uh, I was at a church in Oklahoma, and uh, this was a few years ago. And after I spoke, I mean right after I spoke, I came down, there was an aisle just like this. I came down the aisle, and a guy came right down the aisle, and he greeted me with, I don't like Jews much. Wow. I mean, okay, he didn't like my preaching, uh, but I don't like, I said, I, I didn't really know what to say. I said, well, my name's Steve. Good, good to meet you. And then I asked him this question. Are you a Christian? He said, yes. And so I said, well, you got a problem. And now other people gather around, because I said, you got a problem. And so he said, what's that? And then in the worst Southwestern accent, I, I, don't, I don't do it that well, but I wanted him to understand. I said, your problem is you got a Jew living inside of you. <laughs> and then I said, deal with it. Now, why do I tell you this story? I, I want you to understand that I, I understand how Christianity became the way it is and uh, less emphasis amongst Jewish people, and I'm not looking to turn everybody Jewish. That's not my, I just want us to understand the context. So right in the middle of Romans, a Gentile, primarily Gentile church, accused of not coming to Rome because they're gonna take his message, chew it up and spit it out, uh, Paul uses his main argument, which is the sovereignty of God. God is absolutely sovereign. He chose these people. These are the people he chose. The vehicle by which the seed of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is going to happen. These are the people. Romans chapter 9. The tremendous privileges that Israel has. They're past. They're selected. But... We, it raises some questions. Oh, it raises some questions. And from my background, I could tell you I had no idea Christianity was like what we have just heard this morning. Most Jewish people have no context at all of the appreciation biblically that Bible-believing Christians have. And in part because of the whole question of Israel. Is Israel Israel? Uh, they're not all Israel who's Israel. Supersessionalism, that's what Jewish people call it. Replacement theology is what many of us call it. But there's some issues. Romans, they're not all Israel who's Israel. That's not new, by the way. Yeah, you know, when Moses came down from the mountain, you know, that was after 10 plagues. Moses came down from the mountain, and he asked this question. Who is on the Lord's side? Huh, who was he asking? The redeemed Jewish people. They had just seen 10 plagues. You know, Charlton Heston against Yule Brenner. Yule said, let him go. Get out of here. I'll pay you. Then the 
They go after him in the water and they're drowned. So there they are. Moses is getting the law and they're sinning. These are Jewish people. Israel. And now he's asking, who's on the Lord's side? You would have thought, man, everybody's on the Lord's side after all that. Anybody know how many of the tribes came to the side of Moses? Any guesses? There are 12 tribes. How many said, yes, I'm on God's side? You're too ashamed. You don't know. Take a guess. Throw out a number. Two. One. Whoever said one is right. One out of 12. One out of 12. He's talking to Jewish people. They're not all Israel who are Israel. Oh, they're all Jewish. They're all, they're all slaves in Egypt, Jewish descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not all believed. That's the way it is. There's always been a remnant. We're going to talk about that in Romans chapter 11. Has God cast away his people? Oh, man, yes, most Christians say. I grew up that way. You know, I knew that you were no friend of mine. I knew it. I was warned of it. I was warned of it in Hebrew school. My father told me, don't you ever date a Gentile girl. Well, you don't want to tell that to some teenager. Don't do that. But I'll tell you how frightened I was. It wasn't until my senior year in college. I said, well, I'm getting out pretty soon. I haven't done this yet. I'm not at home. I'm going for it. <laughs> and I did, frequently. Uh, I did. But th this whole idea of the Gentiles and has God cast away uh, his people? Well, yeah, Christians, I know that Christians said, yes, God's through with you, you Christ killers. So it's an issue. Now, there are different schools of thought. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important taking the Bible for what it says. And we heard two great presentations already, and they're centered in and around the, the text and how literal it is and how important it is to interpret it that way. And I can tell you replacement theology is a major problem from a Jewish point of view. Um, covenant theology, uh, preterism, uh, these things are what most Jewish people think when they think about Christians. Uh, I'm not naming names because I mean, uh, hey, evangelism explosion, uh, Dr. Kennedy is in heaven now, what a wonderful guy he was, but hey, he was replacement. The, the seminary is replacement. Uh, R.C. Sproul, Look, I told you I graduated in the top 10% of the lower third of my class. He would have been at the top. He's a smart guy. I disagree with his eschatology. He has is, he is taken out Israel, and it makes no sense to me. Uh, mainly not the Christian part of me, but from the Jewish part of me uh, as to the scriptures and what they teach. Hank Hennegraaff, he, Hank Hennegraaff doesn't, if you're dispensational, he doesn't like you. I mean, there's an area there, literally from some of his writing, where I'd question Christian deportment. I mean, he's angry about dispensationalism. I've, I've heard him live. Again, a smart guy, uh, very helpful in apologetics. Uh, but again, he'd be what I thought all Christians were uh, before I became a Christian. The Catholic Church holds to a replacement. There are Many Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians hold to a replacement position. 
To be honest, some brethren, non-dispensational, Baptists, there's some people who don't know what they hold. They don't even know what they hold. I was uh, speaking to a group of 40 pastors in Connecticut, and I asked them, when was the last time you spoke on the book of Revelation? Look, we just heard about passages from the book of Revelation, Revelation 12. What? Oh, man, that was, it was great. I love Darby. Uh, Ironside, great. I asked them, in the last five years, have you preached Revelation? Out of 40, one, one passage. Ten years, two raised their hand. But how are the people going to know what they believe if they don't have it preached to them? So it's a problem. Church history, oh, this is what I heard about. Israel's a cast-off. John Chrysostom called for the burning of Jewish writings. The Dark Ages, various synods decreed persecution. Let, these people are the enemies of Christianity. Let's get them. This is part of church history. Martin Luther, oh, you know, I stand before you a schizoid Jewish believer. I'm schizoid. How could that be? Well, as a Jewish man, I stand in front of you and I'll say this, unapologetically, as a Jewish man, I wish he wasn't born. Why would I say that? Because as a Christian man, I thank God for Martin Luther. Martin Luther stood against the church and said, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is absolutely true. He, he did not regard danger in saying that, and it was a dangerous thing to teach. But at the same time, he said, burn all Jewish books. Don't let those Jews outside. Mark out those Jews. And he was the same guy 20 years before he wrote that book. He said, if I were Jewish, I'd never believe. We gotta be nice to them. We ought to talk to them. I said, wow, this is great. What happened? What changed? Well, the fact that he didn't see any Jewish people come to Christ, it probably frustrated him. I can't give you, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I can't give you the answers as to what happened, but I can tell you that what he wrote in that book, The Jews and Their Lies, is extremely important. Because in the late 1920s, and certainly in the 30s, there was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler who quoted Martin Luther frequently. Frequently. So what am I to believe as a guy growing up in a Jewish house about Christians? First of all, I heard, used to hear Adolf Hitler's a Christian. Adolf Hitler's a Christian. Well, oh man. None of us here would say that. But that's what Jewish people believe. And if you hold to a replacement position, and if you believe that God has forsaken the Jewish people, he's done with them. And now there's a new people. Kick those people out. There's no value whatsoever. It will change the way you view the world. And by the way, it will change the way you view Israel, which is, again, a significant topic. Uh, we can talk about that later. So he said, set synagogues on fire, Jewish homes broken down, don't let them pray, don't let them teach, uh, no Jewish travel, and the Nazis used that. Well, Paul talked about the fact in Romans 1-2 that this is a Jewish thing. 
The gospel's a Jewish thing. The early church was Jewish. It is Jewish. There's a priority amongst them. We mentioned this yesterday. And what advantage has the Jewish person? Much in every way. He gave us the word. He gave it to us. You read uh, Romans chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, and each one of those things are given uniquely only to the Jewish people. I'm not telling you we didn't blow it. Of course we blew it. I told you, we're stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. We blew it. But they were given to us. And there was an advantage in that sense. Just like there's an advantage if you're fortunate enough to be born in a Christian home. It doesn't mean you're going to get saved. But it is an advantage. It isn't, I mean, for me, I didn't hear the gospel until I was 18 years old. Now, that's no problem for God, but from a human point of view, you've got somebody raised in a Christian home and somebody who isn't, I mean, the odds are a little stacked. So there is an advantage in being Jewish. Why are then, then Paul, are there so few Jews responding? That, they weren't responding. This was, church wasn't overwhelmingly Jewish in Rome. Well, in Acts 2.41, it records 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. 3,000. Message is proclaimed at Shavuot. That's Pentecost. Uh, that is one of Deuteronomy 16.16 16, uh, commandments where the Jewish people must all be in Jerusalem. So they're coming all these different languages. The Spirit of God descends upon them. They speak different languages, even though they didn't learn them. Uh, and just amazing thing happens. Uh, Acts chapter 4, 5,000 more get saved. Many Jewish people were responding. It was becoming something of interest to them. And then persecution. Persecution begins. And Paul knew all too well about the persecuted church. He was one of the problems for a long time in persecuting the church. Jewish believers. But he had a passion. And we, we talked a little bit about that. He's burdened for his people. He has great heaviness and sorrow, and I talked about that yesterday. Moses was burdened, as we said yesterday, blot me out. Uh, Jesus was burdened as he looked at Jerusalem. Well, as we think about the special things in Romans chapter 9, we note that they are special people, that they are adopted people. They're, they are his. They belong to God. Uh, they were given the glory, the shikan, the glory of God, and, and they could see where he led them physically. Just to give you an idea, were we satisfied? No, read the book of Judges. We're classic. You see, we like you guys. We like what the Gentiles had. What do we have? An invisible God. We got a puff of smoke. We got a little fire. But you guys have pomp and circumstance. You got, you know, a cape and a crown, and you can see the person. That's what, give us a king. Can you imagine what they're saying? We got God, and we'd rather have you. It's crazy. Or is it? You ever think of some of the things you lust for as opposed to what God can give us? Many of us would rather take the garbage 
as opposed to the treasure that we have. I'm guilty of it too. I'm, I'm just as guilty. But there it is in Judges. We had him. We, it was a theocracy. We could go. And nah, we're not interested. It, it's kind of amazing to me. We had the glory. It was given to us. Ichabod, Ezekiel talks about the glory departs. We had covenants, unconditional covenants, starting with Abraham. Oh, the study of Abraham, uh, 75-year-old guy. I don't know if there's any 75-year-old people. Can you imagine being told to move and you don't know where you're going? Oh, man. Give him credit. However God revealed to himself, it doesn't really say, but boy, did it change Abraham. He was gone. About 40 years later, God said to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And then the Bible says he left early. I would have slept in late that morning. I have two sons. But Abraham is a great man of faith. They had the covenants. God promised unconditionally these things. They had the law. Oh, I showed you a little bit about the law with, when I put on the various articles that I used to do. They had privileges, the service of God, the promises, rich ancestry, the fathers. Uh, it's through us that the Messiah comes. It's through us. What did Jesus look like? I don't know. But I've been in enough churches to tell you he didn't look like most of the pictures that I see. Blonde hair flowing back. <laughs> now, there, there's Jewish people with blue eyes. Maybe he did. It's just hard for me to imagine. All the Jewish people I've seen in my life, a handful have blue eyes. But you know, I think if you put a keffiyeh on Jesus' head, he'd look like a terrorist. If you put a keffiyeh on my head, you know how many times I got labeled as I travel uh, and uh, go through security? Look, this is the face of a terrorist. <laughs> I'm telling you, you put the keffiyeh on, you got the beard, it's a Middle East look. It's just the way it is. Jesus is Jewish. That's who we believe in. It's hard for me to imagine that if you understand that and take the text for what it says, that you would hate us. Now, it's easy for me to understand how you say, yo, you don't know the Jewish people I know. Oh, man, they're, they're, all, they're pushy. Oh, these people are so pushy. They want their own way, and all they're interested in, they want to deal all the time. I can't take it. So you're telling me that you don't know anybody who's a Gentile who's pushy. And you're telling me you don't know anybody who's Gentile who doesn't want a deal, right? You know, Jewish people, oh, we're always after money. I got to tell you something. I, I take a survey. I'm going to take it again. Uh, and so far, I've been pretty accurate uh, in the results that I predict. And here's my survey. If you're here and you only want to pay retail, you're not interested in a coupon, you'll never use a coupon. In fact, if you, somebody offers you a coupon, you say, no, absolutely not. I need to pay for full price. Will you slip up your hand to me? <laughs> now, now, I was strictly in the Jewish community for 22 years. And I've been in the Christian community a whole lot longer. Double, over double that. And I can tell you, 
that it's going neck and neck between who's cheaper. <laughs> neck and neck. Now look, I'm not petitioning, I'm just telling you we're all the same. That's, we're just all the same. It's not unique to the Jewish people. In fact, if you look in Esther, very interesting, in Esther chapter 9, there's three times when the Jewish people were allowed to defend themselves, it says they did not take a spoil. Wow. They could have. But you know what happened in the book of Esther, which I think is happening today too? They could have taken a spoil, but they just wanted to be left alone. I would argue in Israel today, most of the people would just like to be left alone. Will you leave us alone? But they, they're not left alone. Well, so that's Romans chapter 9. There's always been a remnant, the biblical line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, God made those choices. He's sovereign. We talked about that yesterday. Jewish people saying, I wish he would have chosen somebody else. I told you, I look in the audience, he could have chosen somebody else who looked better than you, smarter than you, me too, but God chooses whom he chooses. He happened to choose the Jewish people, and he keeps his promises to them because of his name. And Paul is clear in Romans chapter 9 in emphasizing the sovereignty of God. Does that mean the promise to Esau God's going to keep? Yeah, I think he is keeping it. Uh, what we look at in the Middle East today is a family feud. It's a family feud. Big time, big trouble, but it's a family feud. It's predicted. We shouldn't be surprised when we see it. It's been going on a long time, and the only way to solve it, it's not the two-state solution, the one-state solution, the this solution. It's only God's going to solve it. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which we should be doing, I think we need to emphasize that. What are we praying? Well, we're praying a lot of different things. I have friends in Israel. I'm praying for peace for their family, the absence of war. But that's not what truly shalom means. Really what we're praying for is even so, come Messiah, come Jesus, because he's the only one that can solve that issue. Is God fair? Oh, is God fair? Verse 14 of chapter 9 what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And you know what he does here? Paul uses Pharaoh. Pharaoh. What? Did God choose Pharaoh? Yeah, he did. Did he choose Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, he did. I got to tell you, I'm in Illinois. I used to live in Illinois a number of years. Uh, I know that uh, it's either three or four. I can't remember how many governors are in jail. Um, <laughs> can't remember. And so I'm only speaking for myself as an outside observer now uh, that I was pretty excited uh, what happened on Tuesday and even for Illinois, uh, I was excited. I don't, I'm, I don't believe all our problems are solved by, by the election, but I, I have to admit that uh, it's, it's wonderful when I can finally watch the news. I finally watched the news for the first time. I, I read the news but watching it has just been awful difficult for me, uh, just because I can't stand what I'm seeing. But was, did God get surprised about any of this? 
You know, I've been going around the country and I often tell people we ought to be praying for those who rule over us. I said, shame on you if you're not praying for our president. Shame on you. Shame on you if you don't like your governor and are, because of that won't pray for him or your senator or your congressman. One time after a message, I was kind of giving it to the congregation. A woman came up to me and said, oh, young man. I love when she said young man. That was pretty good. Young man, I pray for our president, but I'm not going to tell you what I pray for. <laughs> I don't want to know. But God put Pharaoh in, just like he puts the people he does now for such a time as this. It's God's sovereignty. Who are you? My mother used to, I, I said shut up to my mother once. I still remember it, as a matter of fact. Uh, and that was the only time I ever said shut up to her, and I won't tell you how she responded because it's not politically correct anymore. Uh, but she let me know. Uh, and one of the things she used to say to me, young man, who do you think you are? Now, maybe no one here has ever heard that, but I used to hear it. And I used to hear it when, she said, when, when I went further than I was allowed to go in the structure of the family. I overstepped my bounds. You know, when we, would we dare question a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God and say, you know, you're not doing this right. I think you got it wrong. Well, the text tells us in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who are you? Who are you? To reply against God. If God is God, who do you, who do you think you are? He can do whatever he wants to who he wants for whatever reason he wants. Doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. When I overstepped my bounds with my mother, I wasn't happy but, about it, but it put me back to where I needed to be. And certainly in situations of life, we might not like them, but once we understand that he is God and we are not, then at least it gives us opportunity to think about why we're there and what are we going to learn through the situation we're in. Romans chapter 10, we see Paul's heart. We see his heart. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That was Paul's heart, same as we looked in Romans chapter 9. Uh, he has a desire to see his people come to know the Lord. We should have a desire for all people to come to know the Lord. Everybody. Anybody we come in contact with. Uh, it's, it's important to, to be thinking other. The Christian life, I think, is thinking outside ourselves. Paul's hurt. They have a zeal, but without knowledge. Oh, we are a zealous people. I don't know if any of you are ESPN fans. Oh man, I'm an ESPN fan. Uh, if you look at the contributors to the empire of what is ESPN, I would have to tell you, it looks to me by some of the things I read, that at least 60% are Jewish. They're Jewish guys, they're Jewish writers, they're Jewish uh, on the radio, talk sports, they're all, they seem to all be Jewish. Anybody here listen to Mike and Mike in the morning? Uh, I listen to Mike and Mike because, again, I'm schizoid. 
And right on that show is Mike Golick, Gentile, from my home city, Cleveland, Ohio. And in so many ways, I relate to that guy. But then there's Mike Greenberg, the Jewish guy from Manhattan. And in so many ways, I, I could see me in some of the things he's saying. You talk about zealous. These guys make, when you listen to them, it's as though there is nothing more important in life than who's winning, who's bouncing the ball, catching the ball, throwing the ball, whatever it is. The zealous Jewish people, we're zealous people. You could have a Jewish person describe eating some food and you would think, man, alive. All he's eating is a tomato or a hot dog. Or we, we are just good at that. We're just zealous. Imagine what we are about the law. Would you say that Paul got any more zeal when he got saved? I'm t hey, he was killing Christians, Jewish believers. Why? Because it was an abomination. How dare you think that God is in flesh? So now he's on the road to Damascus. He's blinded like that three days to think about all that stuff. I don't think Paul was given one ounce more of zeal. Not one ounce. He didn't need it. If he had any more, he would have exploded. But he had knowledge. He understood. It kind of fit together. And Paul understands these are zealous people. They were given the law. They love the law. They, they want to get everything right. I got to tell you, when it comes to the law, I sat in Hebrew school and they used to tell us about all the different things we're supposed to do. You can't remember it all. You, you, you have to look up references to find, can I do this and not do that? And you're all worried about it, but you're worried about it. Zealous without knowledge. And then in Romans chapter 10, he's going to talk about how are these people going to hear? How are these people going to hear? Now, I have no desire to look at your feet, and you should not want to look at mine. But if you go and share the gospel, your feet are beautiful. How beautiful are the feet that are those who would go and communicate biblical truth? What a great story Dr. Bailey told about um, a Halloween. Hey, my wife and I determined a long time ago we were going to um, tip with a track. Now, any waitresses here? Are there any waitresses? No, okay. Nobody. Oh, wow. Against restaurants, or what's the deal? <laughs> uh, I've interviewed waitresses and waiters and asked them about Christians. Now, there's Christians who tip with a track, but that's the tip. They leave the track. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> or they use a track and they give them 2%. Man, don't do that. I'd rather, honestly, based on my interviews with, they don't like us. Waitresses and wait, they, the church group comes in, oh man, somebody else take them. So my wife and I use a track, we have a thank you track. There's a, actually one that says thank you on it and it's a nice message. But we determined, look, if we're gonna use a track, we're gonna tip good. 
That's just the way it is. It costs us. But isn't it a wonderful thing, privilege we're given to partner with God to, we don't know who's going to get saved. We have no idea. But isn't it great to just be able to think of ways, I thought that was a great way. Uh, 70 people, 70 kids. Uh, we used to put tracks in, in uh, my neighborhood when my kids were young. Uh, you don't know who reads them, you don't know about, but that's not our responsibility. And so, it's, Paul talks about that in, in Romans chapter 10, and I think it's, it's significant. And then in Romans chapter 11, Paul asks the question, and he asks, I say then, has God cast away his people? Oh, man. Of course he has, if you talk to some Gentiles. Those Christ killers, are you kidding me? Those people deserve what they get. They were the ones that killed Christ. Are there any Italians here? Any Italians? Oh, only a couple. Man, you're against waitresses and Italians. <laughs> well, has anybody ever told you you couple Italians, that you killed Christ? Because you did. The Romans did. We didn't do it. Now, I can't tell you we're innocent. I'm not saying that. I mean, legally, we were not allowed to kill anybody, although that didn't prevent us from stoning Stephen. We did that. We weren't allowed to. But then we used it as an excuse that we couldn't kill Christ. But to say the Jewish people killed Christ is, is not true. I mean, they said crucify him. To say the Romans killed Christ, it's a, they're half-truths, which is a whole lie. Look, I killed Christ. You killed Christ. But that's not even true. Because the fact of the matter is, God sent his son. He came because the Godhead agreed that the second person was going to take on flesh for eternity. That's, that's significant. And so to make the argument, has God cast away his people? And then Paul's going to, he's going to, well, he answers the question using an expression that all Jewish people use today, at least all the ones I know. God forbid. May it never be. Don't even think such a thought. And then he's going to give examples, testimony. He gives himself as a testimony. A Hebrew of the Hebrews the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, you know, some people think Paul had his name changed in the book of Acts because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, at eight days old, <laughs> it's your circumcision. And I thank God I don't remember my circumcision. I thank God. But I know this, wherever there's a circumcision, there's a party. Oh man, there's food and wine and laughter can't tell you that's what the eight-day-old baby's doing, but it's, it's, a, it's a party. It's a party. Uh, and at eight days old, I was already had my American name, which is actually from the Greek, Stephen. Uh, but at eight days old, you're given your name. There's a naming. It's very important in Judaism. And my Hebrew name is Yisroel Reuben. Uh, now, Paul was a Roman citizen, and he was given a Hebrew name, Saul. And the, so I don't think his name got changed. I just think that it went from his, the emphasis of Saul at first to Paul because 
we had that name, but to emphasize what his ministry is going to be. So he's, he's given uh, as an example in Rome that God hasn't rejected his people. But then there's another example, Elijah. I call Elijah the prophet of chutzpah. Again, I'm far enough away so no one's in danger. Chutzpah. What, why did he use Elijah? Well, Elijah thought he was the only one. I'm the only one. I have, Lord, I haven't abandoned the faith. I haven't turned. I haven't become like the pagans. Elijah went against 450 prophets of Baal. I call him the prophet of chutzpah because if I was in his shoes, you know the contest, most of you know the contest. Uh, 450 prophets of Baal, two sacrifices, the altar. You go first, they of course, nothing happens, so Elijah starts doing what Jewish people do. Ha 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 ha. Hey, maybe your God's asleep. He's taking a, fie- a siesta. Uh, why don't you beat your bodies? Beat, they pummeled their bodies. You know, you could go to some third world countries and, uh, who are super religious and pagan, and they beat their bodies. I mean, literally, till blood comes out. That's what Elijah said. And of course, nothing happened. Now it's his turn. Now it would have been, an, that was bad enough. Now he says, you know what? It's not fair. Things aren't fair. Why don't you bring some water? Bring in water. And they overflow the altar with water. I I can't tell you I do that, but Elijah did. That's chutzpah. And interestingly enough, after that happened, significant, I mean, (sighs) things taken away, he flees for his life. I mean, I'm reading this. He's against 450 guys. He's, He's teasing them, and he flees because of one woman. One woman. Now there's a commentary there, and I don't want to get into it. (laughs) 450 guys and one woman, and boom, he's out of there. And that's where he tells God, I'm the only one. I'm it. And God says, oh no, there's a remnant. Now if you think for a moment that 7,000 is a significantly large number, there there are in the millions of Jewish people now, 7,000 is more than one, so that's good. But it's only a small percentage. And Paul uses Elijah as an example as well. Uh, and then in verse 5, he says, Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God always has a remnant. He won't always have a remnant because as the future goes forward, there will be a day, and we're going to look at that real shortly, there will be a day when all Israel will be saved. God's going to accomplish his, his program. But there's been a remnant. We, we've already heard uh, by Mike about uh, Daniel. Daniel, Jewish guy, remnant. Esther, uh, remnant. Simeon, who's going to hold salvation in his hand. That's, he's a remnant of the believers. Anna, a remnant. There's going to be a future remnant of 144,000 in the midst of total unbelief and all kinds of terrible things going on. The time of Jacob's trouble, God's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish people. Can you, the, I picture 144,000 Pauls. Wow. You know, I've often thought, how, if the Apostle Paul came to visit Bethany, 
Would we like him? I mean, I like Paul, but he is so brutally honest. He, he, does, he's, he doesn't mess around with niceties. He's not necessarily political correct, politically correct. Uh, and 144,000 with Antichrist there, preaching uncompromisingly and seeing many from every kindred nation and tongue, the two witnesses. I remember reading a commentary once, the two witnesses they said is the Old Testament and the New Testament. I just, how, how do you do that? The two witnesses are Jewish. They're Jewish guys. And they're standing there, and they're, they're able to do amazing things. And they're Jewish. Paul says that the Jewish people are blinded. They're blinded. And man, can I identify with that? I, I'm telling you, the first time I heard the gospel, I couldn't understand why anybody would believe Christianity. It, I mean, I read the New Testament for the first time and didn't understand one thing. It made no sense to me. I used to say, ah, oh, yeah, Christmas, you guys are such a riot. Look, Mary fooled around. They needed a story, and it was a great story. That's what I said. Until after I got saved, it dawned on me, wait a minute, I'm Jewish. Judaism is built on a hundred-year-old guy and a woman who's gone through menopause, probably a while ago, having a baby. I, who's the wacko one? If, if Judaism comes from the union of two people who can't have a child, who do, after three visitors come and announce that they will, and then they name the kid Isaac, which means laughter, which is what she did when she heard, how far-fetched is it, really, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son? If you believe one, at least it's possible for the second one, but I never thought about that until the blinders were lifted. It doesn't make sense before, but if God is pleased to remove those blinders, that covering over our eyes, as it says in uh, Romans chapter 11, we're not going to see. And the Bible says, oh, what a day it's going to You see, God promised Israel a future, a glorious future, a kingdom. There are people, Christians, I've met them, who think we're in the kingdom. This is the kingdom. Now, you know what that tells me? They have a low view of God. Because if this is the best that God can do, think about This is the best that God can do? Oi, phase, mere. Oh, my. Wait, isn't Satan supposed to be chained during the kingdom? Man, is that a long chain. That's just a long chain. As you read the text, I'll tell you one of the greatest things that, to, to witness is when Jewish people meet people who love Jewish people in Israel and have never met a Jewish person before. It happens all the time when we take trips to Israel. 
We, a lot of people from rural places, they, they're not in contact with Jewish people. I've been in so many situations where I'm the first Jewish person they've ever met in their life. I feel bad for them about that, but I happen to be the first one. But So they go to Israel, and they talk to Israelis, and they have you ever met a Jewish? No, I never have. How come you, how come you love us? Because I read the Bible. I read the Bible. I know you people. I know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. In fact, the problem many of them have is they take those beliefs and spring them on modern Jewish people, and then they're frustrated. Uh, no, we're not all like Moses. We're not all like uh, Isaiah. Uh, some of us, uh, yeah, 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 we're, we're just not nice. But there's not nice Gentile people too. And so... The culmination of Romans chapter 9 is Israel's past. Tremendous privileges God has given to them. And God is sovereign and he chose them for a purpose and he's going to work his plan through them, through another people he's going to call the church. And in Romans chapter 10, the present condition, zealous without knowledge. But we ought to be speaking to them, Jewish and Gentile people. We ought to have beautiful feet. In Romans chapter 11, has God rejected them? No, not at all. He's got a plan for them. The Bible says in Zechariah, they shall look upon him whom they've pierced. And they're going to mourn as one mourns for an only son. The Bible says ten Gentiles. What a day this is going to be. I know we're not in the kingdom. Ten Gentiles are going to grab the clothing of a Jewish person. They're going to want to be with us. That's crazy. They're going to want to be with us and say, I want to worship in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Wow, why is that? Because the king's there. Because the temple is there. Because the wolf is gonna lie down with the lamb and weapons of war will be turned into instruments of agriculture. It's gonna be a whole new world. And it's going to be exactly as God promised through the prophets. And you and I, as part of the church, are going to be there. You know, I just close with this. There's a fence that was around the temple. It's called the Sorig. had a sign on it. Gentiles, keep out. Not allowed. If you're Jewish, you can keep going, but if you're Gentile, we're going to kill you if you go through. This is only for Jewish people. And what's interesting about the mystery people, the church, is that it's comprised of Jewish and Gentile people. We're exactly the same. We're together. We worship the same God. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. God is a respecter of no people. We're, we're the same in Christ. And Paul says, the middle wall of partition has been broken down. That sorig that in the temple that was separating Gentiles is kicked down. And we have equal access. Man, what a great truth. So you know what that means? I can come here as a Jewish believer and worship with you. With you. And you with me. What a blessing. We're part of the body of Christ. A Jewish Messiah. What a blessing. Israel's past, Israel's present, Israel's glorious future. Father, thanks for the word. 
use all of this morning and the rest of the day for little golden nuggets that we can extract from the speakers and incorporate them in our witness, in our life, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.